Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Bowlology Report. It's a massive one. There's a lot to talk about. Record-breaking partnerships in the Sheffield Shields, some classic games uh, the IPL finals have started. The WD, WBBL, um, if we can get rid of, the, rid of the rain, we've had some cracking games there as well. Signings in the Big Bash. The fixtures are all finalised for the summer here in Australia. Uh, but to, to talk more about that, Damien Fleming here, the usual co-host, Peter Hanscom. Pistol Pete, how are you travelling, mate? Good, Flem. Good, mate. It's good to see you again. Good to see you. And we're going to have a bit of a chat Um Later, because I'm really disappointed in you. I, I challenged you to get a hundred, but, <laughs> but when you walk out at number three at one for a thousand, I admit it's pretty tough. <laughs> yeah, look, we didn't have much time left there. To... Hey, um, what about our uh, next co-host, Australian fast bowler? Um, you know, New South Wales gun quickly dominated Sheffield Shield uh, this round, and he's just getting himself on up the top of the all-time New South Wales wicket takers um, of all time, mate. He works the touchscreen at Channel Seven Cricket. No one better, no one better at the analysis. But I just want to touch on uh, Pete. I looked at his wiki page, and what about this? Aside from his cricketing career. He represented the Australian College of Physical Education, selected for the highly competitive Australian University Games. He, oh, yeah. he, rep, he represented them. Oi, what about this? He represented them in baseball, <laughs> touch footy. It says he's a scratch golfer and he's a world-class negotiator, whatever that means. Right, I've heard it. Excels, <laughs> he excels in fantasy basketball. Like, Let's get him on. Trent Copeland, thanks for joining us. What does all that mean? Oh, I mean, I'm happy for whoever's written those things on there. I'm happy to run with that. I mean, uh, there's a lot of things that are false in that. I'll let you make up your own mind as to which ones. <laughs> Were you even really focused on the sport or was it more just the uh, the away trip? Oh, look, I'll, I'll uh, probably just leave it at the fact that we – we focused a little more on the alcohol side of things, the social element of uni games, rather than the, you know, being elite athletes and selection. So no, it was good fun, uh, good time of my life, and then it coincided with starting to play some proper shield cricket uh, not long after that. So I'm pretty glad to have just parked that and left it in the rearview mirror. <laughs> I'm editing your wiki page now. Uh, aside from his cricketing career, career uh, Copeland represented the Australian College of Physical Education and selected in the alcohol drinking. You can get rid of scratch golfer too. That's not true. 
Yeah, I didn't know about that. What are you playing off? Uh, I play off about seven, which is oh, yeah. generous. Yeah. Cool. Um, that's still that's still good. Have you been have you been getting out and having a hit uh, over Adelaide? Yeah, we've actually been able to get quite a few rounds in. One of the uh, difficulties with the hub is not being able to do much, as you well know, Pete, and you guys had that really tough lockdown at the start. Um, but one of the activities we are allowed to do is get out and play golf, and Adelaide have got some brilliant courses, and we've got probably 12 or 13 guys on tour with their clubs here. So yeah, we've been sort of every day off, uh, guys are going out to Glenelg or the Grange or Royal Adelaide and um, even up to Mount Compass uh, in the Barossa. Um, and then uh, Lynx Lady Bay as well, which is a lovely course about an hour wow. away in the middle of Adelaide. So it's been beautiful, actually. There's an underlying goal. Moses. Moses yeah. is... Uh, uh, he always comes out in front and he plays off about two or three. Ooh. Very good golf. Um, the thing that brings everyone closer to the pack is that uh, we've got a little fine system going on at the moment. If uh, We call it the splash penalty. So if you ever hit a ball in a hazard or a water, um, that's a fine. And then three stab. So if you three putt on any hole, that's a fine to the kitty. Um, and then also the grave digger. If you're in a bunker and you take more than one shot to get out, so that's provided some good entertainment along the way and a free feed at the end of it, hopefully. So there's enough pressure anyway. Adding those in, <laughs> it's it's like when you play golf with Merv Hughes, right? Who's for a big man, he's underwhelming off the tee. He's got a high slice fade, like what one one seventy meters. But you play with him, and he's got all the animals. So if you hit a tree, he throws a kookaburra at you. So you've got to you've got to have that. Um, if you're in the sand, there's a camel. Um, if you if you're going for your third putt, he throws out the snake. So depending on how many animals you get, it, you know you've got to shout at, at the end there. So yeah. I like that. And also, what I like is, I tell you, if you guys could get organised in between your shield games, you could almost have a state golf competition. Yeah, well, there's certainly enough players playing around the traps. Where we played the other day at Mount Compass, there was a few of the Vicks boys there. I saw Sammy Harper and the big chief, uh, Will Sutherland, were out there. So, yeah, yep. it's definitely on the cards. Hey, Flem, what about your golf? Last time I saw your swing was um, on TV and it didn't go so well, mate. Gold Coast. Um, <laughs> almost, almost airy. <laughs> almost airy. Actually, it wasn't a bad cricket shot. Yeah, you could say that. It's actually a nice straight drive, but, um, yeah, nightmare. Yeah, said, no problems. I'll, I'll join in um, under pressure, um, want to make my flight, get there, no warm-up, no club, no ball, no tea. Tough conditions. Tough conditions. And it must have been, I reckon, about 170, 175, slight breeze, you know, over water. And, um, and then the pros come on, they hit – Three of them missed the green, right? One shot, and I'm going, oh, God. Then I finally get a club, a six iron. I'm thinking, even if I'm middle this, I don't think I'm getting over the water. <laughs> and then and then, and then, then it was a beautiful cover drive. Yeah. Beautiful cover drive. Where'd it go? Right in the lumber yard. Unfortunately, on golf, on live TV, it doesn't work that well. <laughs> But it's funny, Coach, people sort of have a crack. Like, I'm off seven as well. Uh, so we're playing okay. But yeah. 
you know, you still have shanks though, don't you? Oh, mate, more often than not. The yeah. only thing consistent about my golf is that I am inconsistent. I never know how I'm going to play when I turn up. Even if I've had 15 good holes, the last two, I'm likely to have a 10 on both. It, it, it's, it's a great character builder. But a lot, you know what I like, boys? You know, in lockdown, you're doing stuff together um, and a bit of fun and finds meetings. But, um, hey, we've got plenty to get through. Copes, you've probably heard about this segment. It's uh, it's getting a lot of coverage around the world. We've played around with the title a bit and we thought we'd go pretty extravagant. So it's time for Pete's Newsweek. Yeah, we finally got there with a the name. It's a solid one. Um, it's beautiful. But uh, before I start, I just want to uh, just want to say that if you hear any background noise, um, that's my washing machine going off. Uh, Shorty, my roommate, decided this would be the perfect time to put the washing on. So, <laughs> thanks. Uh, apologies. He wants to get on, doesn't he? We haven't asked him. He on. Wants, no, he wants on. This is him trying to. Uh, he'll probably sneak in at some stage and, and pop his head in. <laughs> Um, but going to go straight over to the to the IPL to start the news. Um, the finals started last night. Like it's, it's a long tournament, but we're we're at the end. We're at the business end now. Um, with the top four teams, Mumbai, Delhi, uh, Sunrisers, and Bangalore all making the top four there. Uh, and last night, the first semi final with Mumbai Indians uh, absolutely demolishing. Uh, the team that I had as favourite at the start of the tournament, the uh, the Delhi Capitals. Gee, I don't know if you saw it, Carl. I watched the highlights today. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Um, and probably we'll get into it. The thing, you know, like the the two differences I saw was um, the, the quicks of the, of the Mumbai Indians. They went with the big boys up up front, and, and, and Boomer and Bolt closed the game out. Whereas Delhi sort of held their gun quicks back. Well, I think the biggest thing I noticed was all tournament, the Delhi top order, Prithvi, Shikha, Darwan and Ajinkya Rahane, they've been just unstoppable. Mm. Then in the biggest game, the time when you need your big guys to stand up, they just got knocked over, like all three got ducks. So it's really hard to come back from that. Great to see Stoin try and lift things. He's played beautifully all throughout the tournament, um, which is great for Australian cricket. Um, and great for him personally. I think uh, he's copped a bit of undue flack, in my opinion, about his white ball stuff. So great to see him just dominating on that world stage. Um, but yeah, tough to tough to win a game when your top three all get ducks. Yeah, and and like you mentioned there, well, a slight change from Shikadawan, where last time we spoke about him, Flemmied, uh, he'd gone back to back hundreds, uh, and now he's gone he's gone three ducks in a row towards the business end of the of the competition, yeah. which. Yeah, for your for your top order batsmen, you really want them standing up uh, at at this time. What about the skills from Boomer though, boys? I mean, to go Yorker, uh, we know that's probably a low percentage ball in T Twenty cricket because if you get it wrong, mm. it, you know it's going. And, and he just against Darwin, a quality player, he, he, and going across him, and just your it was one of the best Yorkers I've ever seen. Yeah, he he seems like one of those guys. Pete, you would probably be able to talk to this better than me, but one of those guys that because of the arms everywhere and um, just being so different, his trajectory looks like it just gets on people so much quicker than you think. Um, and then if you're expecting a length ball or, you know, watching for slower balls, things like that, or even just swing early on, 
getting that Yorker and hitting you quicker than you think, it's too late. Um, yeah. And he's just, in my opinion, up there with Starkey is the best bowler in the world in white ball cricket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the scary thing with Boomer over the last sort of year and a half, almost two years, he's learnt how to swing it away to the right-hander as well. So he's got this real weird action which makes it look like everything should be coming into the righty. And then every now and then he just throws one that goes away and you're like, I've got, I've got no clues here. I've got, I can't pick up anything in his action that's any different and it's coming down at 150K. Like it's, it's just it's so extraordinary, so different, um, but so awesome to watch. He's, he's executing his skills um, on the big stage, which is, which is what you want for your big players. Hey, boys, um, what, what about the batting power from, from Mumbai? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, for me, Mumbai, Rowett's the, the batting power, although he didn't, he didn't uh, fire last night. But, um, no, they're, they're top order. And, and what I like about Mumbai is that they've had – their top order's got going, but they're – they're getting the consistency, the consistent run into finals. They're getting back-to-back wins coming into the the pressure end. Um, so they're coming in with form and they're, uh, they're they're playing beautiful team cricket from what I can see. Yeah, DeCock for me is one of those guys that oh. uh, when he's on, he's just electric. Um, you know, in, in all forms of cricket, you've seen him come out batting at seven or eight in test cricket even and just demolishing the second you pill. Um, I thought he was really good last night. And then Hardik Pandya at the end. No mm. fours and five sixes. Cheers. Thanks for finishing yep. the innings. <laughs> and he doesn't, he doesn't even waste any time. If, uh, if the ball's yeah. there to be hit first ball, he will swing and, and do everything he can to hit it for six. Yeah. So he, he, he batted, you know, seven to come in and 37 off 14. A lot of, lot of bottom hand. Also, the things I noticed, guys, and, and we spoke about last time, Pete, just the progression of Indian, young Indian cricketers, you know, through the IPL. You know, Yadav and, and Kishan, who have had really good tournaments. You know, Rabada and Co. tried to bounce them out, you know, and, and they're putting them out of, virtually out of the stadium. So the short ball isn't necessarily, you know, a weapon that it used to be against the young Indian batsmen. Yeah, so the, these young batters coming through, I think have been doing a lot of work with with Raul Dravid, um, and it it's starting to really, really show because there's this huge generation of young players with, with strong techniques, but this uh, face a short ball. Like he's been he's been fun to faster wickets. Uh, when we went over to India in an Aussie A tour, uh, he made sure the wickets had pace and bounce in them. So that their players got used to facing fast bowling at their head. So they're they're doing all the right things. So hey, boy, so you know, obviously there's there, there's another game tonight. You know, Bangalore and 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 Sunrisers. Um, Delhi get another opportunity. You know, can can they fight back from that? But who do you think they'll be playing? Uh, with the form the Sunrisers are, are taking in, uh, winning four out of the last five games, as opposed to Bangalore winning. One out of their last five, uh, I've got Sunrisers getting the win off the back of, of Davey finding some form late in this tournament as well. Yeah, yeah can't complain with that. Yep. No, 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 he's doing well. But we're coming home, still staying with the T20s um, and getting into the WBBL where La Nina has 
hit Sydney, and it's uh, it's been very, very annoying for those wanting to watch some games. <laughs> um, but but of the of the games, uh, we've had uh, we've had five round games. So uh, there's been a, a couple of rounds, two or three rounds each team that that have been rain affected. Uh, but the Thunder and Sixes uh, shaping up really nicely early on uh, in the tournament. Both both pretty much being led. Um, well, their skippers really standing up. Uh, Perry for the Sixes and and Rachel Haynes doing amazing things for the Thunder as well. So uh, some some pretty uh, powerhouse teams there, boys. Yeah, Flem, I've I've been really impressed with the. I mean. Let's get the weather out of the way. Sorry about that in advance. Sydney's let us down there. <laughs> in the end of the tournament, will come good. Um, but, yeah, look, I've been actually really impressed with some of the changes that have been made with some of these teams. Sixes have stayed pretty stable. And in my opinion, if you've got Healy and Perry healthy on the park uh, and Perry bowling, uh, they're going to be hard to beat no matter what's going on uh, in the tournament, who's playing well, whatever's going on. Uh, them and the Stars, who I think are in third place, uh, getting yep. Meg Laning back, um, and just some of the overseas players. Trent Woodhill, I think, is a huge inclusion to their organisation. Other than that, the Thunder have really jumped out of the pack. I've been so impressed with them. Rachel Haynes, Susie Bates, um, and some of the younger girls that in previous years, maybe with um, Renee Farrell and Alex Blackwell at the helm, doing so much work maybe didn't have the chance to step out of their their shadows. Um, and this year, geez, it looks like they're just playing with freedom and they're absolutely smacking teams. So, yeah, really impressive and some really good young players jumping out of the pack, this WBBL across all the franchises, which is great to see. Yeah, I just like that mix in the WBBL. Probably more than the BBL is, um, well, you're seeing the Australian girls play and dominate. And it's great to see Elise Perry out there playing um, after that hamstring injury. But the progression of these younger girls, um, you know, with the stars, Annabelle Sutherland and Tess Flintoff, um, is really impressive. You know, one little element that I am enjoying, and, and that is the ball speed, the velocity of some of these these young girls. So we're getting into the 120s. And, mm-hmm. you know, I remember reading an article a couple of years ago um, you know, from a sports scientist, you know, just saying that, you know, working on, you know, um, sprinting between, um, you know, men and women, um, you know, throwing pace, you know, they should be able to hit 130 kilometres. Well, um, it's just starting to build, isn't it? Darcy Brown, Stella Campbell, um, Maitland Brown from the Renegades is interesting, isn't it? Just, Just sort of coming from nowhere and adding two or three yards. You know, Elisa Healy wrapped her up. So, um, you know, that's probably sort of the last component of, of, of the, the women's cricket, isn't it? That, um, you know, the, the batting has, has just been off the rails. They're hitting sixes. Don't even worry about the, the fences that are in. Um, I think the spin um, has improved dramatically. What about all the great little leg spinners we've got going around? But, you know, imagine if we can get, girls consistently into that 120s. Uh, the bouncer becomes a weapon. Uh, the Yorker's a bigger weapon. Um, you know, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, and I think this is this has come from, you know, women's women's cricket in Australia becoming more and more professional over the last few years and more money and more revenue going into that 
into that sport. We're seeing them training more, being able to train more and not worry about, you know, having to have a second job as much. Um, so they can put a lot more time and effort into their body, making themselves strong enough to, to run in and repeat these efforts with the ball um, and get that extra speed that comes from being in the gym and, and getting, that, uh, getting that strength up. So it's, it's great to see the, this direction that the Australian women's cricket is going in. Yeah, I might just add just finally on those quicks. I've, I've been so impressed with, um, you know, a lot of the, the even Taylor Vlamenic who's out injured, um, you know, who was in the Australian squad coming up to that T20 World Cup, a little back injury. Um, I think that was the one major difference that I saw between Australia and the rest of the world. Uh, Leah Tahuhu for New Zealand, uh, yeah. you know, Sophie Devine. There's a few fast bowlers out there that can get it up in the, in the speeds, but... The Aussie girls, when they bowl fast, there's a serious intent there. And that, I think, in my opinion, comes from Matty Mott, the head coach, um, understanding the element of fear and the, the, also what that does to a batter's swing. Um, you know, when you can control someone like that, I don't have the luxury because I'm not fast enough to do it myself. But uh, I love that the Australians go out there and play how we see Australian cricket. That is not women, not men. That is Australian cricket. That's aggressive on the front foot and trying to win the game through aggressive tactics. So good on the Australian young girls that are getting out there and putting it on the front foot in the WBBL. Hey, Copesy, I'm good mates with Matty Mott, ex-teammate. I've got his number. Do you want to start training with him to add a couple of yards? <laughs> well, funnily enough, I, I also am. He was a coach when I first started. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure there was plenty of chats along the way about, hey, Copes, any chance you could bend your back, mate? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I've been trying for 15 years. <laughs> well, we're going to get to the last Shield game, so uh, uh, your last Shield game, so uh, we know it's not all about ball speed. Um, yeah. What else have we got, Pete? Um, well, we've got the BBL schedule uh, has been released for December at least, uh, which is... As a as a player, it's kind of nice to know what's what might be happening now, um, and yeah. where we're going to be, and where we might have to to hub or potential quarantine, or you know, with the way everything's going on now, um, we may not have to. But uh, looks like yeah, we're starting off um, with a little hub in Tassie and a little hub in Canberra, uh, with a couple of games late in December up in Brisbane and Adelaide, and. There's even a little bit of talk that the BBL will be coming back to Melbourne in January, which is exciting for, for Melbourne, you know, the sporting capital of the country. Uh, so hopefully we can all get that going. Yeah, it's we've just got to make the best of a bad situation, haven't we? And, uh, you know, already I've looked at, um, you know, the home games for the Hurricanes, um, for the Heat and, and, and also the Strikers. You know, you just expect them to be absolutely packed. But hopefully, you know, after... Um, well, once we get into 2021, um, particularly that the, the Melbourneites who have been starved of being able to go to the sport, but yeah, we're going we're going to see massive crowds. But um, yeah, the fixturing, I just think they've just had to be able to do what they can do. Um, you know, the signings are coming along. You know, there's been some changing within the teams, which are exciting. You know, um, you know James Pattinson and Renshaw and Cutsy and Co. But um, they're certainly getting some quality English T20 players. It might not be massive names, but they're, they're good players. Yeah, well, overnight, Sam Billings has signed for uh, Sydney Thunder. And 
And uh, we've also got a bit of a surprise local uh, ex-South uh, African international Mornay Mork will sign for, for Brisbane. So that's a hell of a pickup for a local. Boys, he's actually been in, um, he lives with his wife, Roz, and young family yeah. in, in Manly, in Sydney, and he actually plays club cricket for Manly. Um, he's been down to our training for the Blues quite a few times. Uh, one of genuinely the nicest blokes that you will come across. Uh, anytime he set foot in a Blues training session, he was at the back talking to Harry Conway about, you know, using your bounce, angles, um, offering up advice. Um, but uh, look, he played one game for the Scorchers last year in a must-win game and got sort of thrown in the deep end, and mm-hmm. it didn't work out. But I think, given the right scenario and the fact that he's a local, mm-hmm. uh, when you lose James Pattinson and you throw in Mornay Morkel, he may not be the the bowler he was say five six years ago at his peak. But geez, it's still going to be beneficial that extra bounce, um, particularly where it's short straight at the Gabba. Um, when they get to play at home. So I think that's a big signing. Um, and you know what? With the fixtures, I love that Adelaide have been able to keep the New Z fixture. And from everything yeah. I've seen in Adelaide, the origin that was here the other night, we should be able to get, hopefully, what is close to that normal fixture that we all know and love. Um, and the strikers do so well. So great to see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel for not only sport in general, but also, as you mentioned, Melbourne. Uh, getting some fixtures coming up. Harris works fine. Should get four does. Oh, Harris goes aerial this time. Um, and great little segue there, being Adelaide. We'll move on to uh, the Shield Hub that is in Adelaide. And a couple of talking points um, to come out of this week, but probably the biggest one uh, would have to be Copes, you got Manus out twice. Um, how was that? <laughs> you know, the one thing, reflecting back on it, you know, I just love, um, you know, Manus was just really graceful and thankful um, for the umpire's decisions. Uh, yeah. nah, look, you know, any time, and I am one of the biggest culprits when an ALB gets given not out, I am, uh, you know, I carry on like a four-year-old on the field sometimes. So, um Look, Marnus in the first innings was at the peak of his powers. It, I've bowled a lot against him over the years in Shield cricket where he is, even when he played test matches in the subcontinent and even started playing test matches here for Australia at home, never have I seen him with the conviction, uh, the belief, and it was like he was, you know, I don't want to big him up too much because he doesn't need it big man uh but it was like he was floating on air at times you know not being challenged with you know forget me it was you know stark lion sean abbott harry conway throwing absolutely everything at him uh bumper plans around the wicket um you know gaz trying to bowl over bowl around have short legs in have guys spread uh and he just could do it all so Great signs for Australia that he looks like he's gone to that level that Steve Smith went to, you know, six, mm. seven years ago. Um, and to get him out twice in a game, I'm pretty bloody happy with it because it meant that we were able to go and win. <laughs> and what uh, a- you, Well, on the tweets, they're saying India are going to pay you to be their bowling coach just to get him out, aren't they? Well, I mean, they could make worse appointments, Flem. What do you reckon? <laughs> <laughs> no, I reckon Bruce got it covered. 
No, but um, you know, just back to Manus though. You know, how much is it um, technique, skill, and then obviously the mental confidence side? Because you know, we've seen that the wagon wheels from his stint in England. You know, going from a predominantly offside player to a predominantly leg side player, which does open you up to. Um, getting LB, but he just doesn't seem to miss the ball that often, only a couple of times against you. But then I watched most of that innings. It, yeah. it was just, you know, like when Coley and Smith and, um, you know, Williamson and these guys, you feel like um, the bowlers can lose a bit of hope that they know how to get him out, waiting for him to make a mistake. Well, I might start with this and then, Pete, maybe you can touch on, you know, you've had some very similar movements across the stumps and you you can maybe talk about the methodology from a batting point of view. But certainly, in my opinion, batters will do it to to negate the biggest risk, which in England when you do it, and no doubt when Manus started doing this and why Steve's done it, he did it in the middle of an Ashes game, Steve Smith, um, because he couldn't score a run. He, He was batting on middle and leg and he couldn't access the leg side, kept playing offside. So he started walking across just to find a new to score a run and then he scored 100 that innings. Marcus did the same in England to try and not nick off in English can see him around a lot. You, you do that and it creates this thing that's so different for a bowler. Um, I remember Simon Kadic was the same. Chris Rogers was the same. Uh, even Phil Hughes, to a certain degree, um, the top off stump is where bowlers are mechanically, muscle memory programmed in to operate. What Marnus does is the top off stump actually can be scored off through the leg side. So it just changes everything where you think you need to operate and then it just starts to feel off. You know, what field do you set? What, where do you bowl? Do you bowl six stump because then he can leave it if he wants um, and then you feel like you're just not even in play. So there's so many strengths to what he does and what these guys that I just mentioned all do. But thankfully, the bowlers have a chance to have a dip at the stumps and if they miss it, you're at half a chance. Yeah, yeah, spot on. Uh, <laughs> but also just... With him going so far across as well, as you said, he, you've, you change your line, maybe it's a six stump. So straight away he's, he's taking out a motor dismissal um, being bolt. So, and, and then his whole game kind of revolves around owning his front pad or owning his pads. And if he's as strong as he can be off there and his decision-making is good in terms of leaving the ball on six stump when you go to that plan, like you said, it's, it's very, very hard, especially in, in Australian conditions as well. If it's not seeming around, it, it is hard to, to nip one back down the line and, and get him out LB. So, um, Pete, how, um, how important is it that you, you just have total faith in, in, your, in your technique and your game plan? Yeah, huge, huge. As a batter, if you're walking out there with, with any sort of doubts um, in your own game in terms of the movement that you're doing or where your hands are or where your head should be or what your feet are doing, then the bowler's already won the contest. Um, yeah. So no matter what you do, and, and I think we're, I mean, we're starting to see this so, so much more is that there's all these different te- techniques out there, guys batting so differently, but every single one of them is making runs. So 
so we're, we've got to move away from technique being the answer to anything and actually concentrating more on what the mind can do and, and how powerful it is when you believe in your technique and you can own your game and you go about it in your way because that's that's going to be that's 90 percent of the battle is is that self-belief and knowing or, or believing that you belong to be there in that situation you're good enough to score those runs yeah that, that, that's the, sorry, sorry Flynn. i was just going to say I, I reckon the biggest thing and, and you've copped it with this pete more than people should uh in my opinion um the, the key element and, you know, the old days textbook used to be front foot forward, bend the front knee, get the elbow up, get the head over the ball. All of that stuff was there for people who didn't understand the, the, the most important things, which is getting your weight transferred through the ball but being still at the point of contact and your point of contact being somewhat underneath You know, those, those are the most important parts and, over the years, think about like Damien Martin. He was one of the favourite guys to watch. Never mm. moved his front foot. Didn't no. mean he couldn't play through the offside, did it? So, no. like, we're That's seeing so much of it. And, uh, yeah. So, I think uh, more and more, and this this is on, you know, certainly Flam, you and I as part of the broadcast and uh, understanding what cricket is about, uh, changing the vernacular and changing you know, perception on what is actually important because I totally agree. Guys that are different are actually when they believe in it, when they're when they're good in terms of decision making, they're actually the hardest to bowl to and they're the most effective. So yeah, I I think I'll make continue. Yeah, I think it's a broader thing, like you're saying, it's more important to be in a power position, whether you're you're batting, bowling or fielding and um, with batting to have that opportunity to provide a full face and moving into the ball. You know, we know bowling um, copes, you know, we, we want, you know, things going in, in generally um, the, the same direction, but we, we love the uniqueness of a Boomer, you know, versus a, a beautiful Dale Stain. Um, and why can't we change? I remember Steve War as captain suggested to Glenn McGrath, how about your bat left-handed? Why, why didn't he? <laughs> It couldn't have it couldn't have, it couldn't have been worse. But hey, um, we'll move on uh, next state game. But just just to finish that one, Copes, it'll probably go down as one of the the great shield games. That one, your one. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I, I, we were talking after the game, and even when we were nine wickets down, and Harry Conway walking out to the crease, uh, had we ever been involved or seen a tied shield game? Um, you know, let alone the antics that was going on while Harry was on the way to the middle, uh, and then you know playing miss at a ball and doing his mannerisms at the non-strikers end. Um, look, I, I can't recall in my career was you know twelve years uh, the guys like Jakesy and Moses who have been around a little longer than that um, a closer finish, a yeah. more evenly spread game, being so close on first innings, and then you know. Us bowling uh, Queensland out and then you know, really from nowhere, spin coming heavily into the game. So um, fantastic fixture. I love that it's been broadcast on Fox Sports. Kudos to them and, and KO for getting around state cricket because I think it's so underrated and in terms of its importance on how our Australian cricket team plays uh, and is dominant. And, yeah, great to see... 
Trent Kelly producing a wicket and the ground staff there that gave a bit for the, the paces uh, in terms of ace and bounce. Um, and then offered plenty for Mitch Swepson, who took 10 wickets and was was outstanding, yeah. in my opinion. So, great game of cricket. Yeah, I, I'd like to see the ratings on Fox and the streaming figures on Cricket Australia. I, I think they'll, they'll, they'll be massive, and it's a tick for the cricket, but uh, really happy for Mitch Swepson to, you know, let's build this. We've got the fast bowling cartel. Let's get the spinning cartel going. But, Pete, what about your game, mate? Yep. Yep, severe case of Padrash, boys. Um, that was it was unbelievable, unbelievable. Um, unfortunately for us, it was a, a a draw in the end. But I mean, the big the big talking point that came out of it was obviously the uh, Pekoski Harris partnership, uh, highest of all time in in any uh, in any Shield game, knocking off the War Brothers. Um, with a massive total of 486, it's just it's just incredible. They basically batted for for five sessions on their on their own, um, and and never really looked no. troubled. Like we, we we just spoke about um, two guys that well, we just spoke about um, owning your game and and being confident in what you do and. And these two guys looked like when they were out there, they weren't even thinking. It was just happening. Everything was just going on on instinct, and uh, it was it was beautiful to watch, boys. Well, my first question: I, I don't think me or Copes have been in that situation. What do you do at three? Are you taken oh. off your pads? Are you away? Um, did you change? Did you say have a break and let someone else bat at three, or you went? No, nah, I don't want to give up any, any time out at that wicket. What did you do? No, I didn't. I, the thought crossed my mind to to maybe get Matto to to go at number three, so I could maybe lie down and have a bit of a nap or something. Because um, I was wrecked after day two, and I just sat down for the entire day. So, um, but no, I wasn't. I wasn't going to move from that position. I was going to try and make the most out of that wicket if if I got the chance. Um, but in the end, it, I, I was sitting up uh, where you know the batsman waits, and and it was a bit quiet. And there wasn't much going on, and. All the boys, the rest of the boys, were sitting down on the uh, on the oval in the benches there, like handballing the footy to each other, doing the crossword, a bit of Sudoku. So I was like, "Screw this! I'm going down, sitting with them." Um, and so that was, I was able to get my mind off the game uh, about the second half of day two there, when I could just sit down and, and talk shit with the boys. Pretty incredible. I I would love to know a um, couple of things, like Marcus Harris to me has been one of the best opening batters in the country for a long time. Um, how's he going in terms of, you know, readiness for a test selection if it was to come? And then Pekovsky, first time that I can recall that he's ever opened the batting, um, maybe a little bit behind that decision. Yeah, so Harry, um, Harry's looking great. He's had a hell of a preseason with us, a um, couple of good practice games and, and obviously has come out um, and Daddy's thing here, but he's been doing that for yeah for a couple of years now with us. Um, you know, unfortunately for him, he uh, his test matches, you know, <laughs> against India, who were pretty good against left-handers, and then he went over to England um, and faced Broad, who was who was taking the piss with left-handers over there. So, you know, Harry's Harry's copped a pretty uh, rough deal so far. But if he could, you know, get that next get that opportunity again to to play for Australia. Um, I've got no doubt he'd grab it with, with both hands. Um, and I think he's, he is ready to go. I think he's in a, 
a nice headspace at the moment. Um, and basically with, with Puck, uh, I mean, you think that in three for us, which on some occasions can, you know, it, it's basically like opening if the, uh, if the wicket's enough. <laughs> so it's not, it wasn't too foreign to him. And, and I, and when we asked uh, a couple of days out, we asked him, like, you know, what do you, what do you reckon? You know, think you could do this? Um, he, he jumped at it. He's like, yeah, if that's, if that's what the team needs, if that's what we, we kind of need to do to go forward um, and it's good for team balance, then yeah, he's, he was ready for it and it showed. <laughs> he, uh, he grabbed it with both hands, brilliant. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was sort of something that it just came through because of the team balance. Um, you know, unfortunately for, for Travis Dean, who's been, been doing a good job for us for a couple of years as well, opening the batting, um, you know, he just he missed out because we needed the extra quick. We thought the wicket was going to be flat, so we were worried about um, mm. bowlers, bowlers overs. Um, so unfortunately in the game, that's, that's sometimes what happens. Um, and it was great that everyone was just willing to, to go up one position and, and do the next job. Yeah, that's certainly um, for Travis Dean. I mean, when you get dropped, you always get the, the team balance and most of the time it's not. That that seems pretty legit to me. On looking at that pitch, um, but uh, yeah, I, I like it. Um, Pekovsky, yeah, he, he looks an, an amazing talent. You know, technically and um, you know his ability to go big, isn't it? Like that—that's his third real big one in virtually twenty innings. Yeah. Um, and for Harry, I, I, no doubt he'll be better from the run. Um, you know, I thought he was good against a really strong and Indian attack a couple of years ago. I mean, he admitted he didn't cash in against Sri Lanka, you know, tough in against England. But, you know, if, if someone like Dave Warner happened to retire from test cricket to play white ball cricket, you know, you know, certainly Harry's a guy that's not dissimilar in the way that um, his scoring rate, which, you know, we love in test cricket, don't we? An opener that can that, that can really take it away from the opposition in that first session. But um, what about the the young bowling attack? I mean, Bolo was was fantastic and, and almost, you know, got the bigs over the line. You, you probably would have loved to have had one more experience quick. Um, you know, possibly, yeah. you know, just grab back Chris Tremaine for one game would have been handy. <laughs> Selfish New South Wales, not yeah. quite him. Stealing him back um, home, but... Um... but Bad luck for tremors, but yeah. What about the young, the young quicks? Yeah, I mean we've got we've got three quicks under the age of or twenty one and under, um, which is which is great to see. It means you know we've got it, they've been in the squad now for two three years and and haven't got their chances just yet. But this is this is their time, and and you know credit to them. I thought they bowled thought they bowled very well. Um, Mitch Perry, Zach Evans coming in in their first game, yeah, uh, doing doing what I asked, and it's not it's not easy um, on a on a flat wicket like that to to come in against quality batters. You know, Travis Head in that second innings, um, batting absolutely beautifully, but they for first gamers and young bowlers, the way that they executed their plans, I thought was. Was was just awesome. I mean, it's it's so hard to, to come in and do that. And then uh, Will Sutherland, who's almost like an experienced bowler for us now, um, only played almost maybe ten shield games, if that, probably under. Uh, he's he's really starting to lead the charge. But yeah, obviously, Big Baz, 
was the bloke I had to keep throwing the ball to. It's just that's that's years of experience. He knew he knew how to get something out of that wicket, um, and I think that's great for our young bowlers to look at and to watch and hopefully learn something off. Like that's that's going to have to be them at some stage in the next couple of years. Copes, it's never easy on first class debut. How did you go? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it was all downhill from mine. Went. <laughs> Um, and look, we won't go into the numbers, but it was a pretty good day. Uh, uh, well, what, what were they to say? Uh, it was eight for, yeah. Um, yeah, and, yeah. and um, yeah, it was all downhill from there. I've never done it since, so and it's a, um, and it's a terrible but, question uh, for you because I'm leading to you, <laughs> but then I'm leading back to me that yeah, I took six for 30, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I've got no doubt, on my phone. and you know, That's what, 14 it, wickets it really between us. Yeah, it really shocks me that you wanted to talk about yourself. Um, but, <laughs> hey, Pete, I was just, just going to say um, one of the big challenges, I reckon, at the moment, particularly in Adelaide, these grounds that we're playing on, um, and then you throw in it's the first game for two guys, um, sometimes you can bowl as well as you ever have, execute plans as well as you've ever thought out, but the wickets just are offering donuts. Um, you know, that, that's going to become one of the real challenges for all states on the back of this hub is assessing how people have actually gone. And, and I reckon, you know, for those kids on debut, the stuff that I watched, certainly um, I've played against both of them in um, second 11 cricket. Um, they've both got the goods, good wrist mm-hmm. position, look like they've got enough pace. And if they're executing plans, like you mentioned, um, I think there needs to be a, a real understanding here from all the teams that um, you come out with none for 100 off 30 overs, um, but you've played at Gladys Elphick Park or Glenelg or, or whatever, um, you know, it's not the end of the world. It, it's, you know, part of the process and first-class wickets these days can be flat and docile and you guys know that more than anyone at, at playing at the MCG lot. So good on them for getting a game and, and waiting their turn um, and I'm sure they'll be better for it in the long run. No, Coates, I, I totally agree. If they're supported, it's not just the, the young Victorian guys, it's everyone. Um, it's almost a worst-case scenario. If you can support it, find a way to bowl well in these conditions, they're going to get a lot easier pitches to bowl through down um, further down the track. So it's a, it's a way to actually um, strengthen your, your skill set, um, owning your stock ball, and obviously that mental toughness and, and resilience that's going to bode them well for the future. But, uh, hey, Pete, just to finish with this one, a bit of a, a yes and a, a highlight, low light. Obviously, Travis Head's um, going beautifully still. And, and, we, and we're going to see the end of, um, you know, one of the great guys of Australian cricket, Callum Ferguson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A bit, um, bit sad to see, yeah, Ferg retiring. Um, you know, I've watched a lot of, uh, well, at least from first class cricket, I've watched a lot of a lot of him Um when I was younger and, and he scored a lot of runs uh, against Victoria uh, before. So, you know, he's, he's been great for, for the Redbacks over a, a long, long career. Um, and we wish him all the best in, like he's still, still continuing to play uh, Big Bash. Um, and I've got no doubt he'll, he'll score runs there. But uh, yeah, he's had, a, he's had a pretty amazing first class cricket um, career and, you know, well done to him. Yeah, huge congrats from me as well to Ferg. 
one of those guys that every time you play against the Sackers, he's the first guy to come into the sheds, have a beer after a game, <clears throat> um, talk cricket, talk life, be a good person, um, you know, a great advocate for the sport, um, but also bloody hard to bowl to. You know, when he was on, uh, he just had scoring options all around the ground. And I vividly remember, uh, so unfortunate for him when he was at the peak of his powers, did his knee um, when he was in the white ball team for Australia in that era where no one got into that team. You know, it was so hard to break in. And he was, you know, in that five, six role, just dominating, hitting sixes over cover for fun. And uh, yeah, what a career. He should have played more test cricket, in my opinion. Was stiff in that Hobart game and the timing of it. Um, but all in all, great bloke. Great career. Good on you. Yeah, for my end, it's just about the end of, of, of my association with State Cricket because he was a teammate of mine in South Australia. That's how long he played for. Um, you know, we had three come through that year, you know, Fergie, uh, Mark Cosgrove and Sean Tate, you know, three pretty good um, players and, 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 and great blokes as well. But, yeah, backing up, um, Copes, he was tracking big time. Um, he's white ball cricket. There was a tour of South Africa, you know, they were strong as, and he smashed them. Um, his record still averaging 41 at a strike rate of 85. Um, and I, I reckon he would have played some test cricket around that period. And and, and you think from particularly a number six in test cricket, he, he would have been a natural in Australian conditions. But but well done, Ferg. At least you have got that baggy green. Um, and and um, I reckon he, he's got got a lot to offer South Australian cricket um, going on. Um, and and Pete, just quickly, um, you know the third Shield game because we've got a little special guest with a link to your Shield game coming up. Just petered out towards the end there between the between Wackers and and Taz. Um, still some runs though. I mean the, the Wackers got on the board there. Sean Marsh, Sammy Whiteman, uh, Bancroft. Hundreds love what uh, love what Sauce is doing. Uh, like a fine wine, I, I, I love him, and he's uh, he just he's just peeling them off. So uh, you know, great great work to him. But unfortunately, um, yeah, sort of just petered out into uh, into a draw there at, at the end, and um, it, it seems to be the case here a little bit in Adelaide that 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 can that can kind of happen on some of these grounds. We played against the Wackers on that sand um, last week and, yeah, that was when Cameron Green got the big 197. Um, one of the big things to come out of the game, I reckon, was his return to the bowling crease. I don't know about you guys, but his batting's unbelievable and it, he scored a big 100 against us. But I think the thing he might be able to offer in the immediate future uh, is going to be that all-rounder. And I think his bowling is potentially even more valuable he's batting in that sense. Um, he's going to, so I'm not taking anything away from that, but uh, 140K plus hits the seam from six foot eight um, and swings away from the bat. Brand new ball in the second innings, got wickets in bowings on a pretty docile one. Yeah, I must admit I watched his spells. The pitch looks very small when he's bowling. Um They've talked about how they've slowed his run up down, so he's more more comfortable at his his takeoff step. But um, and he's aligned himself a bit more too. That bowling arm going towards the target, um, it, it looks explosive, fast, outswingers, bouncy. Mm. Um, 
he looks a, just a genuine all-rounder. So, you know, and he's lucky he can get eased in potentially with his batting first and to bowl 10 overs, um, you know, in innings. But I, I, I see him as a 20-over bowler once he gets going. Yep, definitely, Flem. And that, that'll, be, uh, that'll be pretty amazing. If he can get his if he can get his body going, his workload's up. Well, that is, I'll tell you what, that is a rocking Pete's News Week. Hey gentlemen. Got a very special guest uh, on the Bowlology Report today. He's a former Australian test cricketer, played six tests, opening the batting, seven one days, a right-hand opening batsman, little crafty off-spinner as well, gentlemen. Made a century on debut for the Vix against Queensland. He's still involved in cricket, coaching at the his original district club, uh, the Paran Cricket Club. But while we've got him on today, because a week ago he held the record for Victorian cricket, the highest partnership uh, in first-class cricket with his his mate Jeff Moss of 390. Well, guess what, boys? He's now number two, thanks to Will Kukowski <laughs> and Marcus Harris. And we've got him now, of course. It's Julian Wiener. Julian, thanks for joining us. Um, mate, no doubt you're still fuming. Um have you have you just relaxed a little bit on, on losing that 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 unbelievable record? Well, um, I, I just would remind everybody that as cricket people, we're statistical nuffies and nerds, and and I, I always like to say to to other cricket people that I know that you know your stats to the fourth decimal place. <laughs> And we all bloody do because cricket's such a statistical game. Um, and, yes, look, it's true. I've just come out of the fetal position. <laughs> uh, um, and some of my friends that may not be as knowledgeable about the game as you and Pete and Trent have just sent me very cruel messages, <laughs> like cruel and, uh, and very thoughtless. And so I, I've taken all of my... Um, sedatives and uh, <laughs> ner- but look I, I just I think it's an amazing thing um, uh, over the last few years I, at, when I was at Melbourne Career Club I did have a bit to do with Will and um, I, I just apart from his cricket I just think it's a wonderful thing to see him playing with a smile on his face and in just enjoying the thing that he loves doing we, we all appreciate that He's a wonderful technician and for a young person, a, a tremendous young player. And Marcus has had a fantastic journey um, and is obviously highly skilled and tremendous. But just to bat for that long and stay there is just amazing. So uh, just fantastic, fantastic. And just to set it in there, 1981-82, uh, yep. I don't know if you've had time to reflect on it, but... Junction Oval against the Whackers, mm. you bat first, um, mm. you lose Gary Watts early, uh, yep. there's a run out with Dasher Hibbert, don't know what happened there, yep. but when Mossy joins you at two for 97, is there a feeling that this this is a flatty and, and, and you need to make the most of it? Well, you know, you guys have batted and bowled at, at, at the Junction and 
it was a beautiful pitch, just a magnificent pitch. And um, I, I was fortunate that to bat with Mossy, and, and for those who aren't aware, he was just a little bit unorthodox, but but a, an amazingly um, uh, he could take control of a game. And and if you were batting with Mossy for a while, you always felt that you could ride on the back of him. And, and so um, he he literally took control of that game, and and. Um, really put the, their bowling under pressure. I mean, it, it was a pretty fair attack. and But Mossy yeah. completely took control of the game and, and made it easy to just go on the back of it. And um, as happens in cricket sometimes, you know, we we were able to, um, to hang in there and ended up the day at whatever the score was and then carried on. And look, <laughs> one little thing... And and, and um, Scolzi was captain, who was, we all appreciate, the most wonderful person, passionate Victorian, and one of the most wonderful leaders of men. And he just said, look, let's just keep batting and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> and then that little bugger, he declared. <laughs> and, and, of course, Mossy and I would all, when, you know, when we were able to talk to Barrel and catch up, we would never ever forgive him for declaring. <laughs> yeah, and, and and look, we all appreciate again. Trent, as a bowler, you want them to declare, but Pete, as a batsman, when when you know you're going like that, you just say, "Can we just please let this roll on for a bit longer?" Um, yeah, but, at, least, at least ten more runs for you, so you can knock off well, the five hundred. Well, the little bugger, he yeah. There was something about we needed to bowl a few overs before a break, you know, like. Come on, um, but uh, um, his his decision was proven absolutely correct. We, we had a very very strong bowling side: Walker, Callan, Higgs, Bright, Graff. So we we felt like we could get twenty wickets and um, fair play to Scalzi. <laughs> speaking, uh, speaking of one of those folks that you just mentioned there, Julian. Um, Sean Graff is obviously yep. still involved in uh, in Victorian cr- in cricket, pretty yep. much the boss, um, or at least, you know, that's what he's going to be. <laughs> uh, I had a little chat with him this morning. He he wanted to know, or if you could explain, which you sort of have, um, it was unorthodox, but what was Mossy like when he was, when oh, he was facing the quicks? Uh, great question. Um he, he was so unorthodox, um, and, and look, I'll just give you, paint a little bit of, of a picture to give you some context. Um, in the early 80s, the MCG was very, very uneven. You know, so a batsman that was technically correct and played with a lot of a, a vertical bat was always going to have a ball with his name on it. Yeah. It was, it was going to take off or, or, or it was going to run along the ground. Mossy's method was if he got a step hit ball, right, his natural shot, his natural bat swing was to hit the ball over mid on and over mid wicket. But that was a natural bat swing for him. Yeah. So you'd have very, very like good first class bowlers bowling and 
at the MCG on an uneven pitch in those days, Mossy's record was amazing. I mean, <laughs> and nobody else could put that on ball. And, yeah, yeah, we'd come in after getting out at the MCG, something had run along the ground, we'd be throwing bats and blaming curators <laughs> and Mossy would just stand there and belt the thing over mid on and over mid wicket off the middle of the bat. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. And I would suspect in today's cricket, you know, with so much white ball cricket, Mossy would have been um, exceptional. And so that's the way he took control of the game. So yeah. given that context, getting onto a flat pooper at the junction and the ball was coming on and you could swing through and trust the bounce, Mossy just kept hitting the ball <laughs> over mid-on and mid-wicket. And you know that concrete area in front of the old stand? Oh, yeah. yeah. I reckon he might have hit... I can't remember. I reckon eight or ten sixes. And I reckon he got phlegm. I reckon he got sauce Malone about four times. And flat, hard balls, like over mid-wicket, like missiles. And that's what made him such an influential player for Victoria in difficult conditions. Yeah, he sort of reminds me a bit of what Wayne um, Andrews would have been for Western Australia. You know, Wayne Andrews was a lot uh, like that. It, even, I'm going to say even more destructive than that, and, and, and because he batted so often at the MCG when it was tough, that's what made him so valuable. And, and his influence on Victoria as an improving team at that time was very strong. Very underrated player. Very underrated. Julian, I'd love to hear your thoughts on um, maybe just through your eras and, you know, think back to that record-breaking time. Um, test cricket at the time, the teams that uh, were running in and just impossible to face, and then also <laughs> just in shield cricket. But maybe the times or the teams that stuck out as just annoying to bloody play against, like the big star <laughs> these days. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well said, Trent. And because this is such a friendly call, I'll let you off the hook there. <laughs> yeah, no um, Oh, that's a great question. Um the, the the other, of course, the other thing that influenced the answer to that is the fact that test players were playing a lot more shield cricket. And yeah. so you'd go to Queensland and the new ball was Thompson and Dimmick. <laughs> and, and, you know, Thompson, of course, we appreciate, but please don't underestimate Jeff Dimmick, a wonderful cricketer and a wonderful person. But boy, could he bowl! You know, <laughs> left arm about one thirty-five, genuine in swing, with a very nasty bumper. You then come to New South Wales and play um, Pasco, <laughs> um, like Dartanovic, like Golly Dartanovic. Um, so many stories. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> um, but boy, he, I mean, he had genuine wheels. And he had wheels over time. So at 5.30, when he took the second new ball, he, he was going as hard as he did at 11 o'clock. And by the way, guys, there was nothing in your half. Um, no. and, 
if you can remember back when we were kids, we used to play on matting and there was always that little bit in the middle of the mats. Yeah. And we always used to say to Pasco, look, is there any chance of getting it on the first mat? <laughs> but wonderful, wonderful competitor. But the, the other beautiful thing about Sydney was you'd go to Sydney and there'd always be two spinners, always yeah. two spinners, and it'd be ragging. And so that was a different game. Um, Western Australia, boy, obviously Lily Malone, Alderman, um, Gannon, um, uh, Ken McClay was a wonderful um, first-class cricketer. So that was, that was as, as a young player, you learnt very, very fast because you were playing against those test cricketers every single game. And, and that accelerated your journey as a young cricketer, I've got no doubt. Um, and then in terms of international cricket, um, well, you know, look, you've, you've heard all the stories about the West Indies and it was all true. Oh. Um, and, and in my day or back then, though, the fifth bowler for the West Indies was Malcolm Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you, you Trent and, and, and Pete, we, we would obviously appreciate that, you know, Malcolm Marshall's record ended up being in terms of strike rates and averages absolutely at the top of the tree. He was the number five bowler. <laughs> so, so, so you'd be playing a game and you think, great, Holding and Garner aren't playing. Oh, Marshall's playing? Oh, God. Anyway, so... I, but, but, Julian, on that, where would you rate them? What was the difference between, say, Roberts, Holding, Garner, Croft? Yep, okay. Um, Roberts, Roberts was, I think, a, a more skillful and, and well-planned bowler in that he had gears that he went up and down, okay? So... And, and if you talk to Ciappelli or Greg or, or any of the guys that played a lot against him, they all talk about the gears that he had. So you'd be batting on a, in a game and, and you'd think, I feel like I've got this. And then all of a sudden there'd be a ball at 145 mm. and you'd think, golly, what was that? And then he had three bumpers, the one that went over your head <laughs> The one that you could hit, and then then the one that hit you, and, and but it was so well planned, and, and he was a strategic bowler, and he of course he had beautiful outswing, right, because of his nice action. Holding was just fast and fast <laughs> all the time. Um, Garner hit the bat maybe a yard or two before you thought it would. So there was this element of surprise and even his half volley hit the top of the bat and then Croft was just a nutcase and bowled from extra cover but also had the ability to hit the pitch and hold the line. So it was a powerful combination. And then in the background you had Marshall, but the hardest of all of them to face was Sylvester Clark. Mm. Sylvester yeah, I've Clark heard that. was a monster bowler and every single ball was at your body 
and threatening and fast and difficult. Um, he was oh, he was just a, a, a an awesome bowler, awesome, awesome bowler. Yeah, that sounds. Uh, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you sort of. Oh, can I just tell you a little story? Um, <laughs> I want a, a, a little story about a batsman that you, you may or may not have heard, Bruce Laird. Oh, um, yeah. Wonderful guy. And, and um, when you talk to the chapels, Bruce Laird, when they say, who are your most respected teammates, Bruce Laird is number two or one or two. Amazing. Test match, MCG, first day, sent in. Um, four fast bowlers. You just want to. <laughs> you just want to survive, right? You just want to survive. About half an hour into the session, Stumpy gets hit because Stumpy was about five foot nothing, but he gets hit on the bottom thumb. Right, that's what normally happens. You get hit on the bottom thumb, and come down at the end of the over, and I can you can see that there's blood seeping through, right? So I say to Stumpy, hey, we've got to do something about this. You've got to get this looked at. He said, go away. I can't take my glove off because I don't want to look. So please go back and look at the stats. And it's burnt in my mind. He then batted for the rest of that session with like, and, and look, you got, we've all done this, right? He then comes off the ground at lunch, takes the glove off, and the skin on his thumb has been split. So he gets it stitched back up. He gets a couple of injections, (laughs) goes back to bat, and I reckon he batted at least until halfway through the second session. And, 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 I mean, there's look, we've all got dozens of those stories, guys, and there's some of them get burnt into your brain more than others and I just what I just thought wow that is just amazing but he's so highly regarded as a player of the fastest hardest bowling that he was so well regarded so well regarded as a teammate and as a person and yeah yeah that's in that's incredible uh Julian, but oh. um, but back to you, mate. Seeing as you're yeah. on the you're on the podcast, oh, okay. <laughs> um, seem to be talking about everyone else uh, except for you. Um, yeah. Just interested, uh, mate. In your last Test match, you got ninety three, mm. uh, and then never played again. Um, seeing as as that may have been when you started, we're, we're starting to find your feet in Test cricket, and you know you're starting to you know maybe believe that you belong. Um, What's, mm. what's the feedback for that? Well, that's that. That seems a bit yeah, yeah. Great, great question, Pete. And look, um, you know, you sort of what one of the things that you appreciate when you look back is um, some things that you could have done differently as a as a sports person, um, and not just look to blame someone or be a victim or you know have that sort of attitude. And look, I, I think um, I, I got some I got some feedback about my fielding. Um, <laughs> like you know, I felt normally field. 
I felt I felt it in the slips, um, and I think I sort of was okay, um, um, but I wasn't a great outfielder. Let's <laughs> let's 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 be perfectly honest here, um, and so I got a little bit of feedback about that, and back in those days, I didn't get all that much feedback about what did I need to do differently as a batsman to force my way back. So you sort of had to be self, you had to self, you had to look at yourself and look at the things you needed to improve. Um, and, and so I just sort of went away from that and um, probably worked a little bit harder on playing spin bowling and, and, and some other little technical bits and pieces. But there was clearly no coach um, and, and 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 that's one of the reasons I think why players were probably a little more self. Um, they were a little more independent in what they identified than what they went went to do with it. Um, yes, we all had mentors and coaches we trusted and all that sort of thing, but to to actually identify it yourself, you know, go and look at some video really try to pull apart what you needed to improve very much came from yourself. So I then went away, really tried to work hard on on a couple of things and then, um, you know, tried to, like every every cricketer who's been there, tried tried to um, force Step my back. way back in through weight of performance. So, um, yeah. But it was very much um, driven by yourself, Pete. Yeah, okay. And 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 Julian, um, we talk about feedback. When I posted a photo of you, no helmet, <laughs> one day game, which you dominated for Victoria. You know, like average fifty five before your time there, with mm. the SS Jumbo. Oh yeah. And people are going, "What was the best SS Jumbo? The Grey Nickel Scoops, <laughs> the Simmons Super Tuskers? What what?" What was your was that your main weapon the SS Jumbo? Yeah, it was, and um, um, look, it was a they were beautiful bats, and you know Stuart <laughs> Surridge, Stuart Surridge, in 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 that period was very an iconic brand, very iconic. They had a beautiful factory in Essex in England, and. If you were a, a first-class player, they actually handmade your bats. Oh, wow. Yeah, so – and it was made out of – and, again, cricketers appreciate this nuffy stuff. It was made <laughs> out of a softer wood. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly, Pete. So it was like batting with a trampoline, mm. you know, yourself. And the bats that, that I had, and Dav Watmore used them as well, might last – two or three games, and it was gone. Mm. But they were beautifully handcrafted to the weight and the shape that you wanted. And we were very lucky, and there was nothing better than at the start of a season getting a, a, a box of bats from, from Surridge. Um, and so I, I just really loved the, the way they crafted them, the softness of the wood, and and it was like um, I've only batted a little bit with the bats of today, but I can only imagine I can sort of compare what it was like batting with one of those and then going to a normal bat. 
it was totally different. So, and, and is it true? There's a rumor going around that when Sir Viv Richards saw you using that bat, he decided to <laughs> use the SS Jumbo. Is that is oh, that true? Nice try, Flynn. <laughs> but 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 I will tell you one funny story, and you guys will appreciate this, um, and I hope the listeners do as well. At Paran Cricket Club, we were very fortunate to have two of Australia's most senior cricket administrators together at one time, Sam Loxton and Bob Parrish. Bob Parrish was chairman of the board. He was like Earl Eddings equivalent today. And Sam was chairman of selectors. So at one club, we had the two head guys. So... And Sam, of course, a wonderful person, played with the Don, and he would always tell you about it. <laughs> so batting at Turak Park one day, come in, and, and Watmore and I had been batting for a little while, came in at a break, and Sam comes into the room always beautifully dressed. He was a parliamentarian, so he was a very articulate man, beautifully dressed, suit, tie, Comes over, you know, Wiener and Watmore thought, oh, we've been going all right. You know, batted for a session, got this game under control. Comes over, he picks up the bat. He picks up the jumbo, right? And he had a very loud, deep, strong voice. And I'm going to try to replicate it. He says, Wiener, how can you possibly bat with this bat, son? It's a fence post. <laughs> he then literally puts it down and walks out. He walks out. And so Dav, Dav and I are sitting in the changing rooms at Turak Park. You know, we think we're pretty good, you know, first-class cricketers. You know, like, what's this bloke doing? Wiener. It's a fence post. That <laughs> oh, wow. is a selector. Yeah, hey, correct. Now, Julian, mate, thanks a lot for joining us. It's a pleasure. Um, it's, a, it's a privilege to talk to a man who's got the second highest first-class <laughs> partnership <laughs> in Victorian cricket. Um, good luck, obviously, with the season coaching at Paran. You're obviously, you. uh, boys, just, just talking, you've got so much to offer, um, obviously, the next generation of Paran and Victorian cricketer. Uh, to, to Pete and, and Trent, Mate, uh, good luck in the next Shield round. Um, if I've got one wish, that's for Callum Ferguson to finish up a fine first class yep. year with uh, first class uh, career with a hundred. So yep. we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Good luck. That was the Bowlology report. Good luck, guys. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.